Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast NFC Team Preview Edition. I'm your host, Ian Harditz, and joining me on this lovely Wednesday afternoon, the one, the only, PFF's finest, Kevin Cole. Kevin, we just talked for like an hour and 15 minutes. Now we're about to talk for another hour and 15 minutes. Great day to be great, my friend. Yeah, yeah, it will be great. And um, NFC now, so we can spend probably 45 minutes on Geno Smith and how he's taken over the league. And then what <laughs> you mentioned this Pete Carroll thing of uh, of Drew Locke nipping at his heels. Did Was this you? Did you like <laughs> take over and hack into Pete Carroll's phone or something and start calling people with this news? What's going on over there? I actually hacked the athletics website and I edited one of their articles to uh, put this ridiculous uh, storyline out there. But Hey, Kevin, it's 2022. Like it's, you're, it's okay to have two great quarterbacks on the same team. I mean, what's, what's wrong with a little bit of good, uh, good old fashioned competition out there. And uh, Hey, Kings state Kings in Drew Locke's case. All right. As always, we're going to go through every single team starting off with the NFC East and the five and O Philadelphia Eagles got a big time NFC East showdown against the second place Cowboys over there on Sunday night football. It's in Philly. There's six point home favorites. The game total though, at a lowly 42 and a half. So Jalen hurts playing absolutely fantastic. It's yards per attempt from his rookie year to this year have gone 7.2, 7.3, now 8.6. Just a completion percentage, 65 to 73 to now 80.6. I thought Darius Butler had an awesome segment on the Pat McAfee show where he breaks down a lot of the film and stuff. And Darius said it great. Like even just going from Bama to Oklahoma to rookie year to year two to year three, Jalen Hurts has gotten better and better every single year. With that said, on this version of the Eagles. They added A.J. Brown. They got Devonta. They got Dallas Goddard. They're PFF's number two just offense in terms of pure receiving grade and the number one in pass blocking. How much of this dominance, Kevin, do you think is Jalen Hurts being an amazing quarterback or is it the fact the Eagles have put him in the perfect situation to succeed? Basically, are you buying Jalen Hurts as the top five NFL quarterback that he has been to this point? Five is a little tough, but very close in the conversation. And I think that's probably all you could really have asked for at this point, Um, especially when we look at weeks like last week where you don't want to overvalue what he brings from from a rushing perspective. And some people, though, discount it probably too much, especially those, you know, outside of fantasy circles. We don't discount it too much, but some (laughs) other people may discount it too much because when he has games where he's not particularly great passing the ball like he was in you know the rainstorm a couple weeks ago even like he was against the cardinals the fact that they can still have a good floor offensively in those games they can still win 
when he had a like a 3.5 yard a dot last week was really just spamming balls out out into the outside into the flat the entire time they still have an offense though because he can rush the ball as well as he can and i don't feel like he's taking a lot of big hits even though he's on pace to you know smash the record for most running back i mean most uh, quarterback carries in a season it really is ridiculous the pace 238 carries the man is on pace to have the previous nfl record lamar jackson in 2019 with just 196 so hey hertz is built very sturdy i mean they you talk about spamming plays my god the amount of quarterback sneaks this team does kevin i mean he has 10 rush attempts inside the five yard line this year that's the most in the nfl regardless of position and accordingly he continues to be in anyone's idea of your weekly top three quarterback ranks we're loving Goddard, we're loving AJB, and we're loving Devontae Smith. But the question, Kevin, is how much longer until we look at AJB versus Devontae Smith and say, I don't know if this is Batman and Robin. They might just have two Batmans out there, two Robins, if you want to be a dick about it. But on the season, AJ Brown, 41 targets, 28 catches. Devontae Smith, 36 targets, 28 catches. AJB's been a little more efficient with it. AJB has the lead in overall air yards. But I still feel like we're firing up AJ Brown as his top eight, top 10 receiver. And at least through five weeks, man, not saying that he shouldn't be up there, but Devonta Smith should be a lot closer based on what both we've seen him get volume-wise and just his own performance. The guys look great. Yeah, I mean, if this is one of these offenses where if you could get a little bit more passing juice, again, they had a total of 239 passing yards last week, that would be helpful because Dallas Goddard is also an option week in, week out, is going to fill up the box score with a decent number there. So you take his slice out, then you're really not leaving a whole lot for everyone else. So it's unfortunate. I think it's more of a two Batman type of situation. Both of these guys have very high weekly ceilings at the position. Um, it's just the floor is going to be a little bit lower than you would hope for because they can cannibalize each other's production. We've really seen this throughout the year. Week one, Devonta Smith was the odd man out. Last week it was yeah. AJB. Goddard's had a dud with the you know passing volume available in Philly. It's more than we expected, but you need a lot to have three consistent high-end fantasy performers. Again, mentioned that Sunday night matchup against the four and one Cowboys. This is the best defense in the NFL, Kevin, because it's certainly looking that way, or at least they're in the conversation for third in scoring. Nobody has scored 20 points on Michael Parsons and company. Cowboys and the Eagles, the only two defenses in the league, allowing fewer than six yards per pass attempt. NFL best 45.6 pressure rate. And PFF's own Sam Monson had a really cool chart he put out there, I believe, on uh, the Y-axis. It was like blitz percentage on the X-axis. It was a pressure rate, so it just kind of showed what teams are getting pressure just because they're blitzing a lot? What teams are just doing nothing uh, and different things like that? Basically, in the bottom right, we're just the mo uh, most elite front sevens. And right there were the Cowboys, the 49ers, and the Bills, which I does believe back up. Again, a lot of uh, metrics I just put out there. And also just what the eye test has told us that Parsons, Demarcus Lawrence, and all these guys have been causing all sorts of problems. But with defense, as we know, not quite as stable as offense sometimes from the you know week one to week 18. Do you think this Cowboys defense is good enough to keep on carrying them, Kevin? Because if you would have told Cowboys fans you weren't going to have Dak and you still managed to knock off the Bengals and Rams in two games that didn't really look all that fluky, um, I think they would have been surprised uh, back in August. Yeah, no, the defense is definitely in the top five. I think they're... They're pretty good as far as being a good shot of being the best defense. You have the 49ers or maybe in the conversation there. I think the Bills are somewhat in the conversation because they had a couple of injuries on the front where now those guys are back and hopefully they'll get even healthier on the back end eventually there. It's, it's really amazing to think 
how strong this was and how much they disrupted things for that LA Rams game when the offense stunk. I mean, the offense was bad, bad. I think the talk of Cooper Rush, you know, winning games and things like that is probably a little bit off of the table. It doesn't seem like Dak's going to get healthy, though, for this week. So Rush is probably going to be back. But that defense is just incredibly talented. 36 different pressures they put on um, Matthew Stafford, and that's counting up the individual pressures for all their different pass rushers last week. So there were multiple plays where we're talking about two, three guys getting a pressure, and that is why it was so difficult for Stafford to do anything. When is it when is it when Cooper Rush keeps getting them? But yeah, I think we saw uh, last week if he's ever forced to kind of have to actually lead them in a competitive game, lead them from behind, it could be problematic. Certainly looking like that could be the case this Sunday night in Philly. And with that said, man, I think it's CeeDee Lamb, and that's pretty much it for this week until Dak is back. I mean, Zico Elliott not looking particularly good. Not, neither is the Cowboys' offensive line, and Tony Pollard taking a lot more of the targets this time around, continuing to do Tony Pollard explosive things. Uh, I just think both guys, unfortunately, got to be outside the top 24 running backs, even with these bye weeks, uh, just with the way the overall offense is looking. As good as that Cowboys defense is, the offense has not been holding up their end of things. CeeDee Lamb, though, number one in the NFL in target share. He's number three in area share so even if it is going to be a little inefficient if he catches that shadow from Darius Slay who's largely been fantastic this year I still think there's enough volume there for CD to win out in a big way in third place somehow your four and one New York Giants is this real Kevin you know I've said some fraud I've done I've thrown the f word out there I called him fraudulent and all this and I'm still not particularly impressed with anyone on this offense other than one Saquon Barkley obviously who is so back you look at any of his numbers PFF rushing grade yards per attempt yards per route run like he is right back in 2018 2019 form which is fantastic to see but at the end of the day man this offense I think it was two weeks ago it was like Daniel Jones ran it was like 20 straight plays where I swear it was either just a handoff to Saquon or a bootleg dumping down to like a tight end. Like this is the most neutered passing game in the entire league. They have one completion thrown 20 yards downfield this season. That bomb to Sterling Shepard in week one. That's the only one. Every other team has at least four completions of at least 20 yards downfield. Can Daniel Jones and can Brian Dable actually do this, Kevin? Hats off the coaching staff for getting them to this point. Uh, you know, and I know Sean Payton on Co- Colin Coward's show was uh, really giving them uh, a, t- a ton of uh, ton of love as well. But like, is this real, man, or is this just Saquon Barkley for fantasy? And we're about to see them regress in a major way. Yeah, I think it's more. I don't know, fraudulent, but we're definitely going to see some regression here. I mean, I was shocked by what I saw on Sunday morning. Um, Daniel Jones this season has been good running the ball, right? He had 80 yards in a game. He had a couple of touchdowns in 70 yards against the Giants. He has had, you know, six, nine, 10, seven rushing attempts. I thought with the bum ankle, that was going to be gone. And that was really the only thing that was working in their offense other than Saquon Barkley breaking off long plays. But Daniel Jones had a great passing game. I mean, not a high volume passing game. But his yards per attempt went from in the fives up to, you know, above eight in this game. He was leading the ball down the field now with smaller chunks, but he was still was able to move them down the field a lot. Extremely long drives, too. I think the Packers only touched the ball once for a three and out in the first 20 minutes of the second half last game. So for me, it was, hmm. Maybe Daniel Jones can pass the ball a little bit here. And they were still running him 10 rushing attempts on a bum ankle, which I thought was good for them to lean into. Um, Although maybe it's more like the Packers. We should be very, very worried about this Packers defense. I don't know which one it is. 
it was wild in that game how in the first half and we'll talk about the Packers more in a little bit but everyone was anointing you know this version of Green Bay looking scary the offense humming the defense doing their thing then you look at the scoreboard after 60 minutes and the New York football Giants are four and one you mentioned those rush attempts man right now there's six quarterbacks on pace to rack up triple digit rush attempts this season Jalen Hurts with 238 Lamar Jackson with 167 and then tied for third Daniel Jones and Justin Fields at 143, Marcus Mariota 122, Josh Allen 119. Would you rather have for the rest of the season Daniel Jones and like Justin Fields or Matthew Stafford and Russell Wilson for your fantasy quarterback? I can't believe we're asking this question, Kevin, but if we're getting Fields and Jones being below average but not horrific passers and they're rushing this much, I almost lean towards them, especially over Stafford. Can I? Do you have any other options? <laughs> Is there anyone else available? Pick Is Skylar Thompson available on on the wire? Sky- um, oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I I do like the Jones rushing production. I do like it a lot. I mean, I, I I'm pretty scared of Fields generally. He's a guy. Also, we'll talk about later. But he actually had a decent first good passing game last week too. So uh, yeah, I mean, Jones is kind of there with. Stafford and and Russell Wilson honestly is from a fantasy option for me um hopefully the ankle will get a little bit better though because I don't know if they're going to do what they did last week I thought it was absolutely wild that not only do you have 10 attempts but you know seven of those were designed runs so they had seven design runs for a guy on a, on a bum ankle I mean multiple quarterback draws on third <laughs> down I was like whoa they're really putting them out there I did not expect that And even though we don't really have any evidence of Jones being this great real-life quarterback, we have had flashes of that in fantasy. Last year before he got concussed against the Cowboys, I believe he had three top 12 finishes in the first four weeks. And, you know, the stat that nobody could keep out of their mouth in 2020 was how only Lamar Jackson had more uh, 30-plus fantasy point games than Daniel Jones in 2019. So flashes have been there. Brian Dable doing a lot of good things. And to be fair, man, like we saw what Tom Brady looked like when he took away his top four wide receivers. Now, I understand that, you know, bring back all the top wide receivers i don't think daniel jones is going to be confusing anyone for tom brady anytime soon but maybe just maybe man we start getting guys like wandale robinson like Kadarius tony healthy and they can make life a little bit easier for jones who to this point you know we got a mannequin out there with richie james and a couple other guys not doing much so i will say uh, in terms of fantasy it's saquon or bust uh, for the time being but if you see wandale robinson Kadarius tony out there especially wandale man i think he was able to return to practice last week in a limited fashion if i'm not not mistaken he was able to and then he got downgraded to a dmp on friday so not the best but does seem to be getting a little bit closer to that return and once he does man there really aren't many places to go uh with the ball in this giants offense can you can you name who the uh, leading receiver is in new york right now kevin um not sills maybe uh no probably not um richie james richie james oh my god so richie you know what Okay, I'm going to ask you a serious question. Does Kadarius Tony want to play football? Like, is he? Is this? Is this a like? How could this possibly be true that he has also and this hamstring, that hamstring? He doesn't show up during the off season things. Is he just like I'm kind of done with football? He got that huge New York back tag. Like he's got to be somewhat invested in trying to make this work. I yeah, it's it's not good because like at the same point we saw that talent. Last year when he was out there, we saw what it looked like with the ball in his hand. What was that guy doing, you know, going pick 24, 25 anyway with only the Giants and Urban Meyer apparently uh, desiring his services. So it's a fair question. 
I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt, but it's been awfully weird. I mean, I, I saw some Giants beat reporter note too. Like even the few weeks in his young career that he's not been on the injury report, like he's just gotten banged up in that game. So sucks to see. Hopefully he can just get out there uh, quickly though. Again, uh, just I, I went through all the teams uh, this morning to see who like the funny leaders are in receiving yards. We got Richie James with the Giants, Corey Davis leading the Jets, Nico Collins lead, leading the Texans, Josh Reynolds, Lions wide receiver one, Robbie Anderson with the Panthers, and Randall Cobb with the Packers. So just like we all uh, predicted a few weeks ago, of course. In last place here, NFC East, we got the Washington Commanders sitting at one and four. Um, if you ask Ron Rivera, Kevin, the problem is quarterback. Just look at these other NFC East teams. You know, we got Cooper Rush, and uh, you know, we got him going out there, and it's uh, the Daniel Jones show in New York, obviously, as we just talked about. And you know, I, I didn't think the comments were that terrible. We kind of backed them up, but then you hear Alex Smith, who is an NFL quarterback who played for Ron Rivera, and he was just saying he couldn't believe it. This was actually Alex Smith's exact quote. I'm not here to defend Carson Wentz. He's had a tumultuous career and ups and downs, but this is a defensive head coach that absolutely uh, drove the bus over his quarterback. And yeah, you're a defensive head coach. Your defense ranks 25th in points per game allowed. Maybe don't completely shit on Carson Wentz when he really wasn't. I don't think the reason why they lost last week. It was funny to me that like how badly he wanted to throw that game ending interception because the two previous plays absolutely could have been intercepted as well. But Hey, there's a lot of lows of Carson Wentz. All the stats I talked about hating on Matt Ryan. Carson Wentz is right behind him in the interceptions and fumbles, in the interceptions, fumbles, and sacks. At least there are some highs, though, Kevin. So I'd be fine if they wanted to go see what they have in Sam Howell, but I will not entertain this Wentz or Heineke nonsense. Come on now. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you there. And what is it about Carson Wentz that makes everyone hate his fucking I don't stats? know. There are so <laughs> many, like, truly bad that people. Bad. There's, like, truly I mean, I bad people it. in the NFL. He's man. got, like, he's a little, you know, cheesy with all of the, you know, Jesus talk or whatever. And he's out hunting or he's doing whatever. And he makes dumb plays sometimes. But I remember seeing him on the in-season hard knocks. And it's like, he seems like a good enough guy. Like, why does everyone hate him? And if you think about this question, the question was why they're not being as much successful as other teams within the division. So he's saying Cooper Rush. Like, he's, he's saying quarterback is the problem versus Cooper Rush or Daniel Jones. It wasn't like he was saying, we don't have Josh Allen or something like that. You know, it's like, yeah, we don't even have those guys. Man, rough. Rough, rough, rough. I guess he walked it back somewhat. He said he had a conversation with him. But, yeah, I, I do not get why people hate Carson Wentz so much. Um, De'Ami Brown doesn't hate Carson Wentz, I guess. Uh, I'm not betting on him since he was fourth in wide receiver snaps. But he may he may get another uh, a play this week. Who knows? Uh, but he had a couple of big plays last week with Wentz. I just think it's tough. It's a tough situation all around because the defense really can't get things together. Uh, Wentz has this up-and-down play. And – there just hasn't been enough big plays to make up for the fact that they're not consistently moving the ball. And fantasy-wise, I don't know what we're doing with this entire team, basically. Curtis Samuel and Terry McLaurin, you're going to have a hard time ranking like 36 wide receivers ahead of them, but you're not going to have a hard time ranking like 30 ahead of them. So I just think that's kind of where they stand. And it's, it's just Backfield's gross... toast. Backfield is totally toast now. Completely done. I take J.D. McKissick uh, rest of the season. I wouldn't enjoy it, but if you just had to ask me like who's going to score the most I mean, maybe Robinson, like we can get back to like – Speaking of people that they hate their guts, like they hated uh, Antonio Gibson's guts this, this offseason. So maybe if that, like I could see that trending in that direction and then maybe Robinson's like the dominant first and second down guy and then he could be useful. But 
that's something that may happen two, three weeks down the road sort of situation. I don't think it's going to happen in the near future. If Gibson becomes irrelevant and they just yes, turn it over Robinson, okay, that's fine. But if it's three, absolutely not. J.D. McKissick yeah. leads all NFL running backs and targets since 2020 with Ron Rivera and Scott Turner like there. It's absolutely ridiculous. And unfortunately, like, we don't think of J.D. McKissick like that. But imagine, like, with that receiving role, like, we would not be high on an early down back in New Orleans or Carolina with McCaffrey and Kamara. And no, I'm not comparing McKissick to them as a talent, but his targets are right there with those guys. Unfortunately, that's what we have to live with here with both Robinson and Gibson. So even if Gibson is removed from the equation, Hey, where are we ranking Antonio Gibson the first four weeks of the year? You know, RB 17, RB 19, somewhere around there. That's about what we'd be looking like for Brian Robinson. Best case for right now, still not a recommended start. So this week, at Chicago, Thursday night football, Bears. It's actually a pick 'em now at this point. Game total, the lowest of the week at just 38. Yeah, if you have a start sick question with a Washington commander or a Chicago Bear, and it's all close, probably not a bad idea just to pick the other guy. Let's move on to the NFC North, where your four and one Vikings just I feel like they're not getting the same sort of uh, hype as some of these other four and one teams throughout the league. Now, we have the seventh ranked offense in EPA per play, defense does drop to 25th. We haven't seen just like the blow up performance, I think, from the group yet. We've had big Justin Jefferson games, you know, three times already this year. He's been flirting with the 150 yard mark, but Kirk Cousins has yet to hit 300 passing yards or three touchdowns in a game. Does that change this week, Kevin? It is road in Miami, but they're playing Skylar Thompson. We got Dalvin Cook adding hey, PF. Hey, hey, yeah. hey. Don't. Don't <laughs> my bad, my bad. Hands okay, up, hands okay. up. Uh, f- fun little moment here where Dalvin Cook, you know, again, players hate PFF until they need something, and this was the case with Dalvin here. Dalvin kindly asked PFF what his numbers were at Florida State facing Florida teams in Florida during his career. 7 and 0, 177 touches, 1436 total yards, 11 total touchdowns. So, Dalvin Cook, we got the playing in Florida storyline going. We also just got the reality that this Dolphins defense has been terrible this year and they're really banged up. Byron Jones is not close to coming off the pup list, still coming back from that Achilles injury. Zayvon Howard missed last week with the groin injury and even before he was banged up, it just wasn't a situation where we could really uh, be expecting too much from him. So, Kevin, is this the week as I said in my bold call, my quarterback column you can read over at PFF, that Kirk Cousins finally goes to 300 plus yards and throws three touchdowns through the air. Uh, yeah, sure. Why not? Let's oh, do it. Let's do it. Uh, you know, you know who hates PFF's guts though, um, is Dalvin Cook's agent. Have you ever seen this guy? Oh, <laughs> Zach yeah. Hiller. You should look him up. The guy is, <laughs> I've heard like, stories. <laughs> oh my God. You should see this. This is what, okay. This is the most recent tweet from Zach, from Z- Zachy. Zachy comes at, comes at PFF all the time, but this is a good one here. Uh, read Devonte Adams. He says, I mean, Devonte should file charges against him meaning the camera guy for assaulting him with the camera he hits Devonte with the bottom part first which causes Devonte to push oh how has nobody God. called this out yet <laughs> this, i thought it was a bit <laughs> no it wasn't. no he's this is this is how, how, well i'll tell you why no one has called that called that out yet because it's ridiculous that's why but oh uh anyway anyway that's that's just a little flavor that's just the most recent thing that he's that he sent out so yeah he he during contract negotiations for Dalvin Cook, he was not a fan of PFF. PFF Eric in particular. PFF <laughs> underscore Eric. R.I.P. to PFF uh, underscore Eric. Uh, but yeah, so anyway. 
doing bigger and better things. We'll say with Dalvin, hey, he got the two touchdowns last week. Nice bounce back performance. But what did we tell you guys last week? Don't be afraid to sell high following that big bounce back performance. Not that Dalvin is, you know, going to be a bad running back or anything moving forward. I just think that his workload is basically like what we're kind of seeing with Nick Chubb. And when he's going to be great yeah. and he's going to score a lot Madison's of touchdowns. Madison's mixing in. He's mixing yes. in early sometimes. So, yeah, yeah. Look, I mean, if you look at Madison just this season, man, he's already been out there with a snap rate north of 30% four straight weeks. All of last season, he did that only three times when Cook wasn't actively dealing with an injury. So, again, Cook is on pace to rack up 313 touches. I don't think he's going to finish like outside the top 15 running backs or anything, but if someone out there considers him a top five running back and you can get a true gem, I would not be against doing that. Again, last week, 57% snaps for Cook, 43% for Madison. And it's just been something that we've continued to see trending this way. So Cook. I mean, I think it's smart too from a football perspective. So I think that's yeah. one reason it could be end up being sticky. You know, you have some, you know, analytics guys in there, new head coach. They're going to say, why push Dalvin Cook when the guy gets injured every single year? Why not split it out? Alexander Madison's a perfectly good running back. So I think it's a smart football move to make, but it's not great for him getting you that high, high end outcome in fantasy. We already saw him re-aggravate the shoulder issue earlier yes. in this season. So Alexander Madison, I know he's not he's got like a you... permanent shoulder issue. Basically, yes. they're, they're saying that he should be wearing whatever that harness is. He was, he was supposed to be wearing that even before he got injured. Dr. Evan Porras came on this podcast and was more concerned about Dalvin's shoulder than he was anything with McCaffrey or even Derrick Henry uh, before the season. So good job by Doc. We have seen Irv Smith, you know, snaps and routes continue to elevate, but they are settling in a little bit under what we would hope for. So still a little bit early to get him back into that, you know, firm top 10 conversation. But again, with this offense, again, in Miami, Vikings three-point favorite, game total out of respectable 46. Uh, there are worse streamers out there than Herb, but there are better ones as well. I do think zero, uh, zero end zone targets for him this yeah. season. That's what he needs to get. It's not great. I would definitely go uh, Hunter Henry and uh, I had someone else last pod I mentioned, but definitely Hunter Henry over Herb Smith. Hayden Hurst. Hayden Hurst. Thanks, man. Oh. You're pretty damn good at your job, Kevin. I'll give you that. All right. Packers three and two, second place right now. Again, talked about this in the Giants game, but this Packers team just looked fantastic uh, early on in that game. And then obviously, you know, things went off the rails a little bit in that second half. So mentioned before the uh, kind of wild leaders and team receiving yards, and there's Randall Cobb leading the way. 249 yards on a robust 2.39 yards per out run. Alan Lazard's his red zone threat. You know, Romeo Dobbs, more good than bad through this opening stretch. Like, Kevin, I think we can all agree the AFC is much deeper than the NFC. We knew that before the season. We know that now. I mean, do you think this Packers team is has that much worse odds like of winning the conference than they did last year, even without Devontae Adams? Yeah, I mean, it was they were looking as being the second team, really, to the Bucs in a very close second going into the season. It's fallen, obviously. Uh, so far this year, especially with the Eagles emerging. So they're going to be down a little bit odds-wise, but not necessarily that much. Um, I mentioned this, I think, before, the fact that they only had one possession through the first 20 minutes of the second half. So it's tough. It's tough to get going in that sort of situation. That's what ended up happening. And there were a couple of plays there. I know we talked about uh, Romeo Dobbs and the fact that he hasn't quite emerged as you would like, but you have this very strange thing happening in the NFL where you throw up a ball to Robert Tunyon and it's kind of like a questionable DPI. You get the ball at the one yard line. You have another play 
where Dobbs really put a good move and good out fake out and then go to the post on the on the defensive back. He gets the illegal contact and they get yeah. five yards on which he probably would have been completely wide open for for a touchdown potentially on that play. So it's those sorts of plays will start to get going. If anything, I think I'm still I'm still confident that Dobbs is probably going to be the guy, especially since Christian Watson is, you know, they traded up in the second round to get a, a, a jet sweep slash end around specialist. And I think I saw he might have re-aggravated that hamstring injury. So oh, he don't, did. Okay, don't completely that, take my word for it. We'll, we'll see what the practice report said. But it's one of those things where, you know, between Sunday night and uh, Tuesday, we're just trying to read some tea leaves. So keep an eye on that. And, yeah, I'm happy you did point out that a missed opportunity to Dobbs. I mean, you see no one throws a prettier deep ball than Aaron Rodgers, you know, when you just see that thing leave the uh, television screen and usually go right into the arms of whatever wide receiver is on the other end of it. But, yeah, illegal contact just barely threw them off. Otherwise, we could you know be having a very different conversation about the offense interesting point from friend of the podcast john daigle over at four for four fantasy noted that aj Dillon's weekly share of backfield touches in week one it was at 65.2 percent now coming down to week five 51.3 percent 48.2 percent 48.6 percent and last week 28.5 percent even in a game where they had a big first half lead and you know we're able to at least still be close throughout uh the end of things so aaron jones has been really I would say top two, three, top, definitely a top five running back this year. When you look at just the individual yards after contact, missed tackles, fours, him, Chubb, Josh Jacobs. If you want to throw Ramondre Stevenson in there, those would probably be my big four so far. So Jones is doing great. Dylan isn't holding up as well on a per touch basis, but they use them different. I don't, it's, I feel weird comparing yards per carry for Dylan when he's, I have not checked the loaded box numbers, but just from the eye test, it does seem like he's usually their pounder. He's going at loaded boxes up the middle. Jones is more of the slasher getting, you know, you would think more yards for carry friendly runs on the outside. With that said, we have always thought that Jones is the better receiver that has come to fruition this year, despite them using them evenly. Do you think that this, uh, again, downward trend of the backfield touches is sticky, Kevin, or is it just a matter of, yeah, it's still mostly 50-50. Last week was a down one for Dylan. Uh, I think it is sticky. I think what's happening is this idea, which I kind of always laugh off of saying, oh, we can get them both out there on the field at the same time and see what we can do. They had Aaron Jones doing some of those Christian Watson type of things that we've seen early in that first game. And they had Dylan doing more of the running. So they were moving Jones around a lot. And I think what they figured out is, you know what? Aaron Jones is just really, really good. So we need to get him the ball and we need to just have receivers do receiver things and then running backs do running back things. And the way that we want to split it out now is a 70-30 towards Jones. And I think that makes perfect sense. So I don't see it uh, changing going forward. Will be nice if that does continue. And yeah, you're starting Aaron Jones either way. But yes, another week of this, and it's going to be awfully tough to continue rationalizing AJ Dillon as a low end RB2 if we're even still able to do that at this point. So similar to LA, similar to you know, some of these other backfields, the Jacksonville one, even if you're disappointed in Dillon. Really, I, I know bye weeks make it tough and maybe you're in a deep league, but don't cut the guy if at all possible because he is still very much a tier one handcuff. If anything happens to Aaron Jones, fully expecting Dylan to be out there for 70 plus snaps in his own right as the feature bell cow. One other thing I'll mention about Packers as far as both these running backs that's really hurt them this season is I believe they do not have a carry inside the five yard line oh, since geez. week one. Woo. 
There's a let's see. The Seahawks are the only team without any carries inside the five yard line uh, this season. They only have one play inside the five yard line. Just imagine that. Best, not the best. One of the best offenses in the league. Inexplicably, uh, can't even get inside the five for whatever reason. Third place, Chicago Bears sitting at two and three. Mentioned it briefly, but yeah, Justin Fields coming off a nice game last week, passing the ball and definitely rushing the ball. We talked about him being tied for third in the NFL right now in terms of his 17 game rushing pace. Not didn't even include electric man 52 yard rushing touchdown from fields you know every week i've been trying to pick out like the touchdown that should have counted like on coolness factor alone t higgins had one against the jets a couple weeks ago um I'm bl- oh, Derek Henry last week had that sick run where he broke like three or four tackles and Traylon Brooks had the late hold. And this week, definitely Justin Fields. Like this should just be one flag per one challenge flag per game where it's like, come on, man, that was really cool. Let's just let that one hold. But passing the ball weeks one through three, 38 PFF passing grade weeks four through five, 57.8 yards per attempt has gone up from 6.6 to 8.9 adjusted completion rate, 58.1% to 74.4%. Hand up, Kevin. I'm an ignorant Ohio state Homer. I do this a lot. Check me if I'm an idiot here. I do think, though, that we're seeing Justin Fields get more comfortable, get a little better, and it's not that different from what we saw last season. He's running more. He's getting more comfortable. And what happened last year? We all wrote him off after four or five terrible weeks, and by the end of the year, he was giving us the sort of low-end QB1 performances that we expected all along. Are you confident in this Thursday night game starting to get Fields back into that, you know, borderline QB one conversation, or is this still a situation where he's been improving, but again, that PFF passing grade still well under 60 uh, might need to hold just a little bit longer. Yeah. I would say hold a little bit longer, maybe forever. Um, (laughs) But virtually for fields. Okay. It's weird about this, this, this Vikings defense. Vikings defense just might be bad. You know, they held down the Packers week one, but other than that, they've been giving up points left and right. They've looked pretty bad against Philly, against Detroit in those, in those matchups. Um, and the thing that would get more excited about Justin Fields, right? He had eight carries. You could say, Oh, eight carries. Like I'm getting excited about Justin Fields, six scrambles though. So like only two design runs and he's rarely, if ever running the ball, where there was not an option to give it to the running back at the same time. I think I just saw, I saw some stat. I should probably have pulled it up on Twitter where I think he only has one or two runs this season where there's not an option to also hand it off. There wasn't an option also to hand it off to the running back. So they're just not putting him in situations where they're saying like Daniel Jones and all of these, you know, quarterback draws and other things that he's getting where he's saying, you know what, let's, let's run the ball with our quarterback. And that would be something that would get me excited. If we saw that turnaround, I'd be more excited than saying, I think Justin Fields is going to be a good passer going forward for sure. I believe you also point out on Twitter, Kevin, that Justin Fields still having a bit of a problem there, uh, you know, taking all the sacks. And it is. Yeah, a stat I mean, it was like a good game for him last week. The fact that it was two sacks on, <laughs> you know, 20 something dropbacks under 10 percent. I think it's the first time he's been under 10 percent sack rate. But still, that's like the floor. I mean, it's more of a like offense kill, killing drive issue than it's a fantasy football issue. But again, not good for the offense getting near the end zone. I know people have questioned, you know, like there is the week three or four where we're starting Marcus Mariota over Tom Brady, like, and it actually, you could wrap your mind around it. It was week two or three when all the Buccaneers receivers were hurt, but I've had my friends like just frustrated asking me like, how come we have these mediocre to bad quarterbacks in real life be actually good fantasy ones? If there was a way to, I think, better control that, I think taking a point away for sacks would make sense. It's so weird that that is a very like relevant part of the game. It's an incredible negative play for offenses. It kills drives that 
close to the same rate as like turnovers do basically. And the fact that really just nothing happens in most fantasy leagues when sacks occur seems to be maybe an issue with our overall scoring. Well, I guess when interceptions are only a negative one point in most thing. places, then Bumbles it's, tough are to two. it's tough to do anything for sacks, right? It's tough to say you're going to make sacks negative one unless we bump up uh, interceptions also. It's, interceptions, why aren't they minus two just like fumbles are? You know, government won't do anything. Biden needs to step in at some <laughs> point. All right, with the Bears backfield, last point here. Dave Montgomery did return from his knee and ankle injury and immediately got his full-time rollback. 72% snaps, 12 carries, and four targets. Khalil Herbert, just 28% snaps and four carries. Look, Herbert's been the better running back by, you know, most of the yards per carry, PFF rushing grade. Montgomery has been a little bit more slippery in terms of missed tackles, force per carry, much better in terms of receiving and PFF pass blocking grade. So maybe Herbert, you know, ekes into this a little bit more moving forward but we can't use herbert at all right now and dave montgomery is kind of back into that low-end rb2 standing unfortunately you know herbert's going to be involved just enough that we can't really rank montgomery as high as we ranked herbert when montgomery was out of the picture but still decent enough spot against washington bottom you know 13 defense and ppr points per game yards before contact allowed i'm not afraid to put montgomery in the lineups of most shapes and sizes uh restore the role i I agree with just on montgomery really quickly uh four catches 62 yards last week so that was good right so if you couldn't do anything couldn't do anything running i think it was 20 yards on 12 carries that would be like your disaster scenario right everyone's flashing saying oh god i'm gonna take a zero from david montgomery hey four for 62 let's take it you said uh, last podcast we did eye tests for running backs. You know, does he look fast or not? Montgomery looked fast. So that's uh, that's all you can yeah. ask for. Not, even when he's healthy, he hasn't always uh, looked fast out there. So it was good to see that. I think uh, yeah, first play of the game, he took a screen uh, for a nice chunk. So that was nice. One and four Lions on their bye week, so we're not going to talk about them. But Ke- Kevin, what are the restore? the? Hey, I mean, I don't want to throw the man under the bus too much. He's not no, no longer with our company. But, man, Eric Eager in the restore the roar bandwagon. Like, come on, man. What the hell is this? Is this going to turn around or what? Well, I mean, this defense is so bad. I just don't understand how they team can sport, even be. Team sport, Kevin. Team sport. <laughs> I don't understand how they could even be so bad. Like, you figured there was some talent they were putting together there. They had had, you know, starting of a rebuild. They bring in Aiden Hutchinson and some others. And, man, it's been rough. I mean, they've had a tough schedule. I'll, I'll cut them some slack on, on some of these things. And, you know, golf, golfed, but that was just so bad last week. I mean, it was ugly and everything went against them the fumble six over six on fourth down which i believe is the worst fourth down uh record ever in a game um yeah not not great not great and dan campbell could go from you know everyone's favorite guy where if they completely brick this season i don't know you know he he doesn't exactly have like gravitas of a great coach going forward it would be sad to see but who knows what will end up happening to him Banged up offense. I get it. And Dan Campbell is an offensive guy. And obviously he's done his side of his, his job on uh, that side of things. But yeah, it's weird to see a defense this freaking soft when you're on tied terror identity is supposed to be, you know, the rah-rah coach that's getting you guys to play harder than anyone out there. So I'm just saying guys, you know, what four or five months of restored Aurora energy. Uh, I'm, I'm not hearing a peep uh, these days. I, we, we don't need to go draw up all my bad takes too, but just thought I'd throw that one out there. They have to get healthy too. So they can get healthy this week and we'll see coming out. And, of I, and I, and I have seen their last eight games. I know that was a big part of taking their win total. So we'll see, but objectively not a good start. I think we can all at least agree on that to the NFC South. Now your first place, Tampa Bay Buccaneers sitting at three and two and Pittsburgh this week, eight and a half point road favorites game total out of lowly 43 and a half. So 
We've had the weapons back back to back weeks, and Tom Brady has responded. 52 pass attempts over these back to back weeks. Matthew Stafford, the only other quarterback with triple digit dropbacks over the last 120 minutes of play. So, hey, we got the wide receivers out there. Brady's chucking the rock again. We got the Steelers, the Panthers, the Ravens, the Rams, and the Seahawks coming up next. Those are all 15th or worse in fancy points per game. Allowed the quarterbacks as my voice cracks at age 29. That's great. Steelers, Ravens, Seahawks are actually bottom eight. I think now, Kevin, and we said this last week, and we both agreed that Brady, you know, kind of QB7 moving forward the rest of the season. But like Goblin. Evans, Fournette, maybe even little Kate Otten if he keeps, uh, you know, having that sort of role he had last week. Just all these guys, man, getting them, get them in the fancy lineups because no offense right now is combining this, this sort of pass game volume with the efficiency that we continue to see from Tom Brady. Yeah, I think Brady is a great like buy right now if you need someone. Um, maybe even using them, you know, talking about DFS even potentially for some of these guys with with the receivers back. You mentioned we've had now two weeks of sustained volume passing. They were up 21-0 against the Falcons. So it wasn't like they were in some sort of game script type of situation no. where he had to continue passing the ball. This is looking a lot more like when they were just piling it on, although they didn't pile it on points-wise. It got a little it got a little tight there, but they're piling it on like they were in the past. And if you really want to say, like going out there, I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago. Um, let me, I got to look it up now. I was going to see what MVP odds are because I won't, like Tom Brady was a guy that I was looking at a couple of weeks ago because I think it was like 30 to one or something like that is MVP odds going forward. I mean, they can pile it on 30 second strength of schedule. So easiest schedule in the NFL. Uh, coming up Steelers, Panthers, Ravens, Rams. Okay, that's something, but then Seattle. You still have on the schedule, you have uh, the Cardinals, the Panthers, the Falcons to end the season. There's going to be an opportunity to put up some points. And in this uh, offense, again, Evans, Goblin, can't show me a lineup where they should not be starting in there. Well, what, I, I want to ask you about Goblin, though. What do you think about the fact that he only ran, he was only in there for about half of the snaps last week? Not ideal. I think they're, they have the luxury of having Gage there is honestly a little bit banged up in his uh, in his own right, but I just think it's going to continue to ramp up. And they, when he's out there, they are throwing him the football. So, I mean, are, are you are you hesitant on Goblin? I, I don't like know. I, I just I don't know, don't know what the explanation was necessarily, other than the fact that they were up early and they're just easing him back in. I think we'll we'll watch it again this week. But you know, he's he has had these injuries, which you could say they're compensation type of injuries, right? Um, so maybe it'll be a lingering issue going forward. We're just going to hope he can get out of the next couple of weeks. I'm just not sure this week that he's going to be a 70, 80 percent snap guy. Um, hopefully he will be, though. It was weird to see him basically an every down player in week four and then taking that mm-hmm. step back in week five. I do tend to think it was the blowout script and we had Scotty Miller running a, a lot of wind sprints out there out wide. And again, they had gauge out there as well, but at the end of the day, 16 targets over the past two weeks for uh, Chris Goblin. I'm more of the opinion that we're going to, I mean, look, they gave him a rush attempt last week. What the hell are you giving your wide receiver? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think you got to start him. It was just something that jumped out to me. So I didn't know if you had seen it and, and had any better explanation. Very good point. I have seen it now. Thank you, Kevin. My, uh, you know, it's I, I take time before all these podcasts. You know, I got my long ass show sheet over here that Kevin doesn't want to see because Kevin is very good off the cuff, and I'm jealous of uh, your ability to do that, my friend. But um, you know, I will say uh, before this episode, I always have my quarterback and running back stuff written. You can catch my uh, wide receiver tight end column on Thursdays, but unfortunately, not quite enough hours in the day for me to get that done before here. Kate Otten though was the one I have already seen. Where last week. 
94% of these snaps. Now, not a guarantee that Cameron Brate's going to miss extended time with this concussion, but just good to see Kate Otten going out there and having that every down roll because a tight end, man, once you do get into that, uh, you know, situation where we'll talk about, you know, Taysom Hill. Actually, uh, right now, we can just lead right into that, Kevin. The Taysom Hill experience, uh, just going out there. And when I was doing my tight end rankings, like it really gets to the point where you run out of the every down tight ends. And then it's like, well, do I want this part-time tight end? Or do I want Taysom Hill, who's going to play 12 snaps, but probably see five to six, you know, combined carries and targets, maybe even a pass attempt in those opportunities. So this week, it's it's terrifying. I can't believe we're here. But I have Taysom Hill as my tight end of 14 ahead of guys like Dalton Schultz, who's banged up with the PCL, like Cole Komet, who's in a terrible offense, and then like Tyler Conklin, who's splitting stuff with Yazoma, Quentin Morris, Buffalo with Dawson Knox out right now. Like, you really, you can't name more than 10 to 12. I got to 13 tight ends I could reasonably put ahead of Taysom Hill, and it's just weird, Kevin. He breaks every single mold we've had at as a fantasy tight end, yet he's a really good football player, man. I don't think they're going to go away from, I mean, could we argue that the best version of the saints offense is Taysom just being a full-time player? I know it wasn't great last year, but in Taysom's defense, that was also an offense with nothing to speak of that wide receiver and it banged up Alvin Kamara. So overall thoughts on uh, what to make of Taysom Hill in fantasy, because that really is the hottest topic here going on in New Orleans at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's not going to be breaking off 70 yard runs every single week, but we're talking about tight ends, right? Like, what are you, what are you giving up? What are you giving up if you're putting him in there rather than putting in a tight end, who's going to get like two catches for 20 yards. uh, And that's, that's almost a high end outcome for some, for some of these guys. So I'm fine. I'm fine with him because if you take a bagel, it's not the biggest like downside, you're probably going to get some rushing yards from Taysom every week. But if you're taking like a near bagel, it's not that much downside versus what you would expect elsewhere. And the upside we've seen is tremendous, tremendous. He's not going to outscore what he did last week again, but the, the upside is definitely so much higher. This season, the Saints have seven carries inside the five-yard line, and Alvin Kamara has exactly zero of them. So he has been banged up a little bit. But, yeah, just unfortunate last week. I mean, we see Kamara go for over 190 total yards and still can't find the end zone. But we did get the expected bump in receiving with Andy Dalton instead of Jameis Winston. Six catches last week, only had five and two weeks combined with Jameis Winston under center. So regardless, Alvin Kamara, you know, we talked about it where maybe he's not doesn't have the same top three, top five ceiling because of – the quarterback situation and also just the overall, you know, scoring upside of this offense. Still, though, PPR RB 17 on the season, RB 13 expected PPR points per game. Again, even if Kamara isn't going to be this top three, top five guy, still someone you're happy to have in the lineup far more weeks than not. This week, they're home against the Bengals, Cincinnati, one and a half point road favorites, game total at 43 and a half. We are expecting to get Michael Thomas back, which is nice. I mean, early on in the season, man, Michael Thomas looked absolutely back with those three touchdowns in the first two. Two weeks and doing it against some really stiff coverage um, in the form of AJ Terrell, especially in week one. So Jarvis Landry's got this lingering ankle. Chris Olave's in the concussion protocol. You would think the way the NFL is treating concussions uh, over these last few weeks in the wake of the whole Tua disaster that Olave could be out for a week. So if we have both these guys out, Kevin, I don't know if I even care if Jameis or Dalton is under center. I think Michael Thomas is going to have to be in more lineups than not as a low end wide receiver too. Yeah, you know, I think Thomas is solid if those guys are out. And you, I mean, for those of us, which probably most people who saw the concussion with Olave, it was ugly. You know, it was not the type of concussion where, or the type of look at least, where you're bringing that guy 
guy back within a week and no one's going to question it. It was really, really ugly. So for that reason, I would be shocked if he was playing this week. I still can't believe how they gave him a touchdown on it, but hey, you know, we'll take it. He got third foot down. <laughs> third foot. No, I didn't see working. the ruling. That was the only thing that I saw. That's when I watched the replay, I actually thought because I think it was red zone I was watching. Mm. I actually thought that they were going to give it to him because he got the third foot down, but then I didn't see what they actually said on the ruling. Mm. Well, it works. Falcons sitting at two and three. They're going to be facing the 49ers this week. 49ers, five and a half point road favorites game total at 44 and a half. Man, th- this is a, this is the 10th ranked scoring offense in football. And it's just so frustrating, Kevin. I can't think of another top 10 scoring offense where, who are we confident in? Kyle Pitts coming back from a hamstring injury. He was at practice on Wednesday. We're going to throw him in the lineups and probably hate ourselves, you know, by the time the game's over with. We have Marcus Mariota. Over the past four weeks, he's completed 17, 13, 7, and 14 passes. He has yet to clear 230 passing yards in a game this season. This is an offense that doesn't have Cordero Patterson, so they're going to continue to use a not one, not two, but unfortunately a three running back committee with Tyler Algier, Caleb Huntley, and also Avery Williams. And that's a Damian Williams doesn't come back this week from the IR with that rib injury. So there's committees all over the place. This is a low volume offense. They've been scoring. I don't exactly expect that to keep up against the 49ers, arguable, arguable league best defense. Vegas doesn't either. Their implied totals one of the lowest of the weeks. Drake London, Kyle Pitts are probably going to be in starting lineups. Other than that, man, miss me with everything here. Yeah, it's we already we talked about, you know, ad nauseum. Kyle Pitts and not scheming for him and not playing him enough. And then with Pitts out, we have Drake, uh, Drake London, you know, only running 65% of and they're, you know, refusing to throw the football again. I mentioned that this was a game script where they were down 21 to nothing. I know the final score, you might look at it and see that it was, you know, a six point difference and not think that it was that big of a deal. Only 34 dropbacks from Mariota in that type of game script is really, really bad. 20 dropbacks the week before, 26 the week before that, 32 the week before that. This is how they want to play. Although I will give a slight tip of the cap to um, curmudgeon uh, Arthur Smith for actually going for two down eight. And I was hoping this would be the first chance we'd finally see a team win on this strategy. But of course, you know, the sack controversy and everything else that happened there. But tip of the cap. If Arthur Smith can do it, you can do it, NFL coaches. I saw a uh, interesting point. I forget who made it, so sorry for stealing the take, but I guess I've said enough about it now. Do you think one of the reasons why these announcers continuously are like so pissed off analytics is because like in that situation, I know it makes sense to go for two, but like sometimes in these spots, if they don't go for two and the game kind of ends early for them, like now the broadcast isn't as entertaining. I don't know, man. I these announcers bring up analytics like the coach that isn't using analytics is just 100% right. And that's the part that really gets me. It's it's not – it's always like, if, were the analytics perfect? They weren't? Then why the hell were you following them? It's never like, show me the coach that isn't using analytics and how everything's going with him, Kevin. Like, And what other part of life would we just like – congratulate people for not taking the extra data, not trying to use the resources out there. I mean, you know, I know who I'm talking to here. Like you, you're, you're, you're agreeing with it. It's just frustrating, man. Like my goodness. Yeah. But. Yeah. I think we just need to get a little bit more. Uh, this is what I, this is what I complained about after the Kansas city game is that, you know, we had the back-to-back two point tries 
I thought the first one by the Chiefs was maybe like a, a a coin toss at best, but because the kicker was injured, maybe they didn't have confidence. That's fine. The second one, I don't even think that that was a good play to go for it for the Raiders on the two point conversion. Yet Troy's like, well, the analytics said yes. Like we need a little more context about the fact that it's like a it's a toss up now. Going for two down eight, which is what Arthur Smith did. That's not a coin flip. That's like 100% of the time you have to do that sort of thing if you really understand it. So I think it's just really having that little additional layer of context. But you're right. If these guys are disdainful for it, of it in the first place, then they're just going to be like, I, don't know, I guess the analytics said to go for it. Well, then the coaches, like their first comeback always seems to be, they're like, well, it's so much more than that. We can have a play that, you know, us and the players are like confident in. Like, it's not your entire job. It's not what you spend the whole week trying to figure out. But enough of that. Anyway, Falcons. Join the Bears, only offenses in the league running the ball in 50% or more of their non-garbage time snaps. So just keep that in mind. Close start, sick questions involving anyone in Atlanta. Probably going to be taking the other guy this week. What's your, t- uh, do you have an Avery Williams take? <laughs> okay, yeah, I do actually. I don't believe that dude is like 5'9", 190. I think he somehow hacked the NFL combine. He, he does not look an inch taller than 5'6", Kevin. And hey, he had a dope touchdown last week. But like I, I tweeted out this uh, picture that they put Kyle Pitts at running back two weeks ago and then Avery Williams in at fullback. That man looks like the smallest player in the NFL. So that's my official uh, Avery Williams team. We need, we need like some sort of graphic with uh... – Caleb Huntley, Tyler Algier, and Avery Williams just uh, imposing. You got to get those guys the ball. I mean, let's face it. Arthur Smith knows you got to get those guys the ball. Last place, Carolina Panthers, one and four. The Matt Rule era is over. You know, not the first failed college coach going to the NFL. Yeah. We'll Never see what didn't see that one coming. Didn't see that one coming. <laughs> It, you know, I don't, we don't really need to defend Matt rule, but it is interesting to say, looking at the roster, Kevin, like, is this really a teardown? Obviously on offense, we still do have some skill position talent. The O-line is top 13 in pass and run blocking gray at this point. Clearly we need a quarterback, but even on defense, man, Brian Burns, you got some cornerback talent out there. Like we're talking about trading CMC and Brian Burns. I don't, if you want to trade CMC for the contract situation, that's fine. That's another conversation, but the Panthers don't strike me as this team. That's like five years away from being worth a damn. I think if they had a decent quarterback, this would be a team that could probably be flirting with 500 as early as this year. Yeah, I think it's so funny. There's nothing that's funnier on Twitter than seeing um, fans. Well, th- th- there's two different things that I think are hilarious. One is when fans see a, a situation like this and they're all like let's take the top player on that team and let's trade for it's like dude no it's like why would they what are you going to give them back in return that they're going to want for this top player they brought rule in in 2020 right and they were kind of going that was like the beginning of their rebuild you think they're done you think they're just like up two years later where we were giving up we're going to start over with a brand new rebuild of all these players that we brought in as part of our rebuild who were only two years into one or two years into their careers. It's ridiculous. Now guys who could go like legitimately guys who go to me, I don't know, Robbie Anderson, maybe, I don't know. Like, is it possible that someone's going to want him because they're going to want a field stretching sort of guy? Chargers. It doesn't seem like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, nice. That's when the That'd talk, nice. that's when the talk. So like that is a possibility. He doesn't seem like he might be the most pleasant locker room guy <laughs> on a losing team. So, uh, you know, could he go? Now, Christian McCaffrey, if you can get someone, who knows, the Bills are so crazy for running backs that maybe they'll like give you a second round pick or something. Ooh. If you can get a second round pick, maybe you use this as an excuse to make a good play that you couldn't do 
in the offseason, which is trading, trading away the guy who's probably not worth it. So maybe they do that. But all these stocks about like Brian Burns or whoever else is like, dude, no, they're not trading away those guys. Give me a break. Man, McCaffrey, you can just start daydreaming about what he'd be like on some of those offenses, Chiefs, Bills, you know, Eagles, what what have you. Either way, the guy's a top five fantasy running back, whatever team he's on. 27 consecutive non-injured games with 100 plus yards and or a touchdown for Christian Why McCaffrey. Why did that Corral have to get injured? That's what I'm that's what I'm thinking right now. I could have been Corral and Skylar Thompson starting at the same time. I would have been in heaven, but I guess the way it goes. Next year, man. All right, DJ Moore, rest of the season, anything? I have him wide receiver four this week. It's going to be P.J. Walker under center here against Aaron Donald and the Rams. Implied the score a week low, 15.25 points. Again, this is the first week I have not even found room for DJ Moore inside the top 36 despite the buys. It's just this Panthers passing game, Kevin. Like, God damn it. We can't do anything? Yeah, yeah, it, it's bad. It's bad. Uh, DJ Moore, that's another guy. People were like, trade for DJ Moore. They just extended the guy. What are they going to do? They're going to take like a like a $30 million uh, cap hit and Gosh. spread it over the next few years and not have any good receivers. Yeah, you can't do anything. PJ, I don't know. PJ had a great run um, in the, was it XFL, right? Yeah. Um, no, Hall, yeah. Hall of Famer, yeah. Hall of Famer in the XFL. He has He has been very good in the NFL. I don't know what to say. The guy's been bad um but he's gonna be playing so let's 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 buckle in i've watched every snap pj sadly watched every snap that pj walker took in the xfl and like his entire game man it was like if you looked at his stats like getting the ball out under two and a half seconds he was like bad even in the xfl relative to them but it was like once he started scrambling around playing backyard football great things happened well when you replace xfl defenders with nfl defenders uh no longer the fastest guy in the field he's just he's just not like he's just he's kind of small in a way that just doesn't look appropriate. Like he looks like a college quarterback or a high school quarterback where you see them playing and you're in, they're just kind of smallish and you're like, okay, that guy's never going to be a pro sort of thing. That's PJ Walker, unfortunately. And he is starting for an NFL team. Looks like PJ Walker like looks like every single kid I see facing Arch Manning on these highlights. Arch Manning looks like this seven foot five like monster yeah. <laughs> playing a bunch of five year olds out there. But hey, hook hook them. Uh, Texas QB situation finally looking pretty decent. Let's finish things off with the NFC West here. First place, San Francisco 49ers at three and two. Hey man, it, anyone's idea of a top five offense? If you want to say they're the best offense, I won't disagree with you. Just like the Cowboys, nobody has scored even 20 points on this team. Now they face the Bears, Seahawks, Broncos, Rams, and Panthers. It's not exactly a juggernaut, but dude, the Panthers are the first team to get even 265 total yards against the 49ers. So they are really just sucking the life out of every offense they play. This is they're, they're in Atlanta, you know, favored by five and a half points, 44.5 point game total. So I am thinking, Kevin, that A.J. Terrell is going to shadow Brandon Ayuk. He's done a very good job over the last few weeks after getting toasted a little bit earlier in the season. Hey, he lost some contested catch situations to Michael Thomas and even one to Allen Robinson, but we won't hold those too much against him. I do wonder, because we've seen this season when A.J. Terrell has been shadowing uh, one player, offenses haven't been you know afraid to actually go ahead and target the other guys. So I do wonder, could this maybe finally be the George Kittle week or just Debo Samuel going off? Because again, Jarvis Landry over 100 yards in week one. Tyler Lockett had nine catches, 76 yards. Dodman People-Jones had a big game. Chris Goblin just, again, had a pretty solid performance even on limited snaps. So any thoughts on if this could finally be the week that George Kittle Puts forward the sort of George Kittle performance that a lot of people drafted him in the fifth round for back in August. It's possible. Actually, I want to start when you when you first started talking about San Francisco. You said um, 
like top five offense or maybe the best offense. And I was like, Oh, oh no. man, I thought I was a Jimmy truth. Oh, like no. this is, this is, <laughs> this is getting good. Then I realized you're talking about defense. As my bad, further, my bad, everyone. <laughs> as you're going further into it, I was like, Whoa, top five. Hey, I love Jimmy. Um, yeah, I don't know. This is one of there's, I feel like there's so many different teams, which there's this weird thing going on of the ceiling is low for so many passing offenses in the NFL right now. And when you have, three really good players it's not an indictment of them it's just who's going to get home any particular week we've seen Debo now having his struggles which we kind of assumed was going to happen we thought okay maybe he is this like regression buster but now he's falling back into there it's just tough could Kittle do it of course he could he could do it any week he has a high ceiling potentially any week it's just the floor is the the floor is the basement what was my thing like the floor is, is low is low for all of these for all these different guys, unfortunately, in this type of offense. So yeah, I will not be buying the I bounce back quite this week. I'm a Debo and Kittle. Hopefully, man, the most consistent part of this offense has been Jeff Wilson, but even that isn't something that we can necessarily be completely sure of. Fantasy fantasy league by me, but go ahead. Yeah, beaten by what well, it was a point one points, Kevin. Damn you. Okay. Jeff Wilson this year, though. Over these last Kevin four Coleman, games, though. What about Tim Coleman? That's the thing, man. Over these last four weeks, Wilson, 20, 15, 18, and 18 touches. Problem is, Tevin Coleman coming back. Uh, shout out. Um, I, I think Josh. This? I think Josh Norris was saying that Tevin Coleman needs to like be drug tested yesterday or something like that. Cause the man looks fantastic out there and he did score two touchdowns last week and started to eat more into that Jeff Wilson workload. We also saw Tyrion Davis price return to practice on Wednesday, coming back from that high ankle sprain. So the problem with Jeff Wilson is like, even though he's continues to dominate the backfield usage, Coleman coming into things and Tyrion Davis price coming into things, even a little bit is going to make life really tough on Jeff Wilson. This is already an offense that has thrown to its running backs 12 total times all season. That's tied with the Ravens for the lowest mark in the league. And yeah, we don't have Trey Lance in there anymore, taking away rush attempts, but Debo's not going anywhere. And Kyle juice continues to do Kyle juice things. So I think Jeff Wilson, he's fine as another RB two this week. And this is the sort of game script where I think he'll be able to get 15 to 20 touches without too much of a, a problem but how do you see this going kevin because jeff wilson's been good out there like i think he's been their best running back this season with that said we know shanahan has a soft spot for tevin coleman and now tdp could be back in the picture as well yeah it's 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 tough it's tough to have any confidence it's funny that i i, I always i'm talking about on the same team and you know i have kenneth walker who i picked up. i think i'm gonna start walker instead of jeff wilson just because i'm not quite oh, sure about about the floor for wilson despite the fact that he's been really good the last two weeks if you look at expected fantasy points he did have higher expected fantasy points than coleman coleman outscored him last week but both of them were well over expectation so if that's what you need if you need a game script against a bad team um, to be over expectation all from Jeff Wilson to have one of those really good fantasy weeks, then it starts to get a little tight as far as like, how, what's my path? What's my path here to getting that, that outcome that's going to help win me a week. Moving on to the two and three Arizona Cardinals offense, putting a pretty good, I mean, not the offense necessarily, but the team put in a good effort against the Eagles uh, last week. Probably should have gone to overtime if kickers could just do literally the one job they have on a field. You take three steps, you kick a football, and you're still called a football player. It's the most inexplicable thing that I've really ever I love had kickers. to deal with. I'm a pro but, kicker, so I'm, yeah, I'm okay. Man. Yeah, watch soccer then. Like, it's fine. It's, I just... <laughs> I don't see their uh, place in the sport, but Kyler Murray this year, the overall QB 10, which is 
pretty impressive, I guess, considering we just haven't seen close to the best version of him or this offense. But the floor has been, you know, pretty high for him. The floor for Kyler, you know, has definitely been at least in the living room here. QB 13, 9, 22, 7, and 11 over these first five weeks of the season. So, Kevin, the question is, it's been a banged up offense. They just got Rondell Moore back. DeAndre Hopkins, you know, one more week until he's back in the picture. We've seen good things from Marquise Brown. Like, do you think we're going to see an elite version of this offense or is Kyler not running quite as much as past years? Cliff Kingsbury doing Cliff King- Kingsbury things, or is this just unfortunately an average to kind of below average offense that we're going to have to readjust expe- expectations for? I think it could be a good offense. I don't think it can be an elite offense, but the last two weeks, Kyler's been above, uh, you know, seven, a dot. He's starting to push the ball a little bit further down the field, which I think is good. He's been, you know, above six yards per attempt, which doesn't sound great, but he was actually struggling to get over that mark earlier in the season. He didn't run it a lot, but he ran it inside uh, the five-yard line, which is good for fantasy purposes for him. And he did scramble some and was able to be an effective weapon. I thought when they really needed him, they were able to lean into that and to do that. So I do think they can make a good offense. Um, yet it's going to be a situation where Marquise Brown has stepped forward. What will happen with him once we have DeAndre Hopkins coming back? Rondale Moore went back into the slot this week, and his A dot went down to 2.3 from being 10.4 the previous week. A.J. Green will probably end up getting phased out, hopefully, um, when that ends up happening. So you have some interesting options here, but it's, could, it's going to be one of those situations where Are you going to be confident in anyone other than maybe DeAndre Hopkins as we see him when he first comes back? I'm not sure. I would say once Hopkins is back in the picture as early as next week, we're going to have to hold on Rondale Moore for a week. We still have him this week. I think if you want to put him even in the wide receiver three range, full PPR, that's fine with Rondale, especially his smash spot here in Seattle. Cardinals favored by two and a half game total at 51. I believe that's the second highest of the week behind only uh, the bills and chiefs, obviously. So really could be a potential shootout here between uh, these two NFC West offenses. I would say once Hopkins is back though, him and Hollywood putting them probably like right next to each other in that lower M wide receiver two range will probably be my move worry about that more next week but yeah man i think Rondo. his ceiling though is maybe a little compromised because of the low a dot but he's kind of like curtis samuel it's like you know like yeah. the curtis samuel sort of thing i think that's that's kind of what um rondale moore is doing if he continues in this role and i think he will with aj green on the outside I think so too. The only concern is last year when Hopkins was out, you know, they were hesitant to uh, really, I, I, I'm concerned that Marquise Brown goes into the slot and then AJ Green keeps an outside spot for no reason. I don't think that's going to happen, but I wouldn't completely put it past him. It was Hopkins out and not Christian Kirk last year. So I think Rondale is a slot receiver. We've, we've crossed Greg Dorch off the list. We don't have to worry about that. Just, you know, fingers crossed, but yeah, Rondale Moore, uh, definitely someone that should be, you know, added to should definitely be on rosters, you know, in 10, 12 teams leagues of all shapes and sizes okay moving on to our two and three los angeles Ram- oh so, sorry real quick on the cardinals we got to talk about this uh backfield daryl williams is out with a knee injury already ruled out james connor has this rib issue and man these running backs kevin i don't have the exact numbers but whenever they have this rib and shoulder injury you know it does seem like enough of a pain issue for a bruiser like james connor where i am not you know overly excited about playing him if he's going to be out there and just expecting him to have his usual role. And that could lead to Eno Benjamin finally getting his chance to really do his thing. Note that seventh, sixth round pick Keontae Ingram hasn't even been active uh, or hasn't had a snap yet this season. So let's say James Conner is ruled out like Jeff Wilson versus Eno Benjamin, man, I'd probably give the nod to Eno. Yeah, I, I think 
Well, it's close, man. I just think it's funny. I know there's probably like Enjo, Eno Benjamin truthers who are like, love the guy going into the 2020 draft. They're like, this is our chance. You know, uh, alarm <laughs> bells going off. I, I don't know if I'm, I don't think I'm going there just because I don't have any confidence in guys that we haven't seen yet that they won't decide just to split the backfield with whoever happens to be, you know, nearby, basically. They're like, I oh, will take that guy. We'll split it. We'll split it with him. So I'm a little bit lower on him but i agree when it comes to connor at least that like why push it you're not getting explosive plays out of this guy um you're not getting anything that i don't think can be you can get from other people including benjamin in the backfield so yeah i think connor is going to have a very muted role if anything um this week but i don't know if i'm confident on benjamin yet the allure with Eno is that Again, he split snaps with Daryl when Connor missed time earlier this year. So yes. if Daryl wasn't out of the picture, we would not be in on Eno. The allure is that Ingram hasn't done anything. Maybe he does split it. Like this is, I, okay, putting him like top 12, top 13 already, probably a little bit, uh, you know, over eager in that, in that sense. Um, with that said, one of the studies I did this summer when I had far too much time in my hands, instead of touching grass or sitting by the pool, I looked at every single play caller and just who was most willing to actually give whatever running back they had a workhorse role. And the only five offenses that actually had like more than just a game or two of giving their running backs a 90% snap rate or more, the Steelers, duh, Rams, yup, Vikings, yup. And the Vikings were just Kevin O'Connell coming from the Rams. The Cowboys with Kellen Moore have done that with Ezekiel Elliott and the Arizona Cardinals with Cliff Kingsbury, David Johnson, Kenyon Drake, you know, Chase Edmonds, James Conner, all these guys for different stretches have gotten those true every down workhorse roles. So, you know, Benjamin is someone that, again, if he's out there, I don't think it's going to be a long-term play for you guys because it doesn't sound like James Conner's at risk of missing too much time. But at least for this week, I wouldn't be surprised if Eno can't actually put forward quite the fantasy-friendly performance. Two more two and three squads to get through. First year, Los Angeles Rams. Kevin, you asked a good question on Twitter. I'm just going to you know, ask you it right now and uh, set you up nicely, my friend. What would the Stafford discourse be if the Rams hadn't won the Super Bowl last season? Because, oh man, has not been pretty through five weeks. No, it has not. I guess the Stafford discourse is also you know, tied to the Lions golf discourse. So uh, golf didn't exactly cover himself in glory last week. So probably maybe it wouldn't be that bad. But I think we would be hearing that the trade was a mistake, right? Because he's not that old, but he's getting up there a little bit. Um, and I think that would be kind of the ongoing narrative is that maybe the trade was a mistake. Maybe in a year or two, they're going to have to rebuild, you know, after Aaron Donald and other guys start to age out, that would kind of be what the discourse would be. And it would be staff, same Stafford, different location, different genius coach, same Stafford would also be the conversation. <laughs> How quickly uh, the tie can change sometimes here in the NFL with this offense. I mean, pick, pick a, any unit you want, basically. And they have been terrible PFF team great. Grades. Overall offense, 26th, passing 28th, pass blocking 31st, receiving 20th and running 31st. This team has Cooper freaking cup and they're 20th in receiving because of just the overall lackluster performances from everyone else. I think the offensive line has probably been the primary culprit, but man, even losing someone like Van Jefferson, they've been trying to make Tutu out 
ball a thing. It finally did connect on one of those deep balls last week, missed another, but I just don't you know. Cooper cup makes the most out of it, but you brought it up. I think last week, Kevin, like even Cooper cup, he's getting the volume, but he's not nearly as efficient as he was last year in his own right. And I think that's a mixture of them not having the same sort of downfield attack, not having Van Jefferson in there. I know he's not exactly, you know, prime DJX putting the fear of God into every single cornerback that's lines up across from him, but still someone 800 yards, six touchdowns last year, you know, obviously more proven than the other guys are putting out there now. And, you know, speaking of, uh, I was giving a hard time to some of the restore the roar lions guys, a lot of fluff pieces written about Allen Robinson in August, Kevin, that uh, I haven't exactly seen us uh, circulating the old Twitter sphere all that much these days. A lot of people went to Rams camp in LA, got a nice little tan this summer, had a lot of good things to say about Allen Robinson. I don't hear them saying much of anything now, nor should they. Allen Robinson said it last week. I'll say it again. In deeper leagues, he is not, or I'm sorry, in more shallow leagues, not someone that needs to be held on your roster by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, yeah, just been absolutely one of the biggest busts so far of the 2022 fantasy season as have these running backs and the interesting thing here kevin again i mentioned that study before with the cardinals like the rams have been one of the most fancy friendly backfields because whether it was Gurley, malcolm brown cj anderson uh, cam Akers, daryl henderson sony michelle last year usually the number one running back in la has a workhorse role this year man not only have they not done that, they've been splitting things up, but just the overall volume pie has been worse than ever. Just looking at pure running back stats, carries from a te- every single running back on a team, the Rams are 29th. Targets, they're tied for 28th. Like This year, Cam Akers and Daryl Henderson haven't been good, but even if they were good, they still wouldn't be having good numbers. Henderson's the RB 47 and expected PPR points per game. Acres is RB 53. Like that's right there with Alexander Madison, you know, Benjamin pure backups. There's been no meat on the bone for these running backs. And Lord knows they haven't really found any other ways to get going. So I'm still holding, but like how much longer can this Sean McVay offense be this bad? Kevin, is this just an unfortunate reality? Cause God forbid, like we get the usual kind of McVay second half downswing. I don't even want to know what that looks like. Yeah, I think, okay. I'm going to try to, be a little bit positive here we go uh, as positive as i can be on the rams here i mean i do think we have to say they're not a awful offense as awful as the numbers that we're seeing the headline numbers i mean they played the bills week one when everyone was healthy and rip roaring ready to go just pressure after pressure after pressure with that front four without without having to blitz they were okay against the falcons you know they scored 31 points they were Okay, not great. Um, a little bit worse against the Cardinals. But then after that, the 49ers, who we just talked about, another team that's just destroying people on the other side of the ball. And, and the then Cowboys. the Cowboys, who also could be the best defense in the so NFL. They've, so, argu- they've arguably faced, they probably have faced the top three defenses in the NFL. Yeah, that's yeah. So point. I think we have to look at that and say, this team is not good enough against that competition to have an offense that's going to put up a lot of points, it's going to be fruitful, that's going to be efficient that's going to have volume, that's going to have all of that sort of stuff that you want to see. So that's that's out the window. Um, but they're playing the Panthers. So, you know, hey, let's do it. <laughs> let's do it this week because then you got the 49ers again and then the Bucks the next, the next two weeks. So let's do it this week. They do have a buy after this Panthers game before they get to those juggernauts. So hopefully oh, right. a little okay. bit of, buy, yeah, buy, little bit of time. They're still, it's rough. Yes, at home this week, 10 and a half point favorites. Game total sitting at just 40 and a half. So you guys, you guys know. They only have one carry inside the five for (laughs) for running backs. Um, So what are you going to do? 
I do think this, because we did see Akers, I mean, he had every single carry in the backfield last week, even though Henderson was actually still uh, commanding the higher 55% snap rate. So if one of those teams, you got some buys, I do think Akers this week, more than most, could be you know a viable flex option. He's a home 10.5-point favorite. Like, if we just kind of erase the names and you just knew that, I think we'd probably be feeling pretty good about what Akers could do in this spot. That said... It's just been tough to get a handle on this backfield all season long. And now even Malcolm Brown is back and uh, taking away a few snaps here and there. So just an annoying situation in L.A. But to Kevin's point, they certainly haven't had you know the easiest opening schedule stretch. Takes us to the main event here. Last place, but first place in your hearts, your two and three Seattle Seahawks. Again, mentioned on the uh, AFC pod, but latest note out of uh, Seattle is that Pete Carroll thinks that, you know, Drew Locke is really pushing uh, Geno Smith for that starting job, which is just hilarious to think about because there, what more could Geno have done this season to absolutely have the starting job forever, man? He's the number one PFF quarterback in terms of passing grade among 35 qualified players. If you hate PFF passing grades, fine. He's number one in quarterback rating. He's fourth in yards per attempt, first in adjusted completion rate, first in big-time throw rate. The freaking highlight reel he put on display last week against the Saints, absolutely absurd, and it could have been even better. I mean, DK Metcalf dropped a touchdown. They had another touchdown to DK nullified. I mean, the guy's been absolutely incredible. He has 10 touchdowns this season. The entire Broncos organization has six. So I did notice, uh, Kevin, I'm stalking your Twitter these days. You love getting rowdy in those analytical arguments with Ben Baldwin and all those guys. And it's great, you know, iron sharpening iron, if you will. But I noticed you do have quite the take on uh, completion percentage over expected versus EPA per play, particularly in regards to Geno Smith and your boy, Jimmy Garoppolo. So do you want to give a quick rundown on basically what those two things mean and why uh, you are so much more, I believe, in favor of EPA per play? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the completion percentage over expected, there are different calculations at different places, but basically it's looking at how far down the field is the target, maybe some location information. What would you expect an average quarterback, how, how, what rate they would complete the pass versus what is someone actually completing the pass and then whether they're over or under that. So Gino's way out in front of the rest of the league. Um, Russell Wilson was a guy. Back, in the, back, back, back when he was good on the Seahawks, that he was way out in front of all the league. And the reason that I like the expected points added per play is because there's like some, it's more of a style thing, I think, with a completion over expectation. I mean, you want guys to complete passes. There's no doubt about it. But, you know, taking easy throws and then finding those is one thing that doesn't come and go into the calculation. Another thing is taking sacks doesn't go in the calculation. There's other things. It's more of a style over actual production. So Gino has been making these amazing throws and that's what people are going wild for these throws down the field yet on third down last week there was one of 10 on third down he's not finding the players there was even one play last week third and two the last time they touched the ball he ran around for like 10, 10 seconds before taking us like a 15 yard sack that was wild. I, was, never, I was waiting for the throw and just no. and then they never yeah and then they never got the ball back so that was also a situation where just throw the ball away maybe you even go for it i don't know if Pete Carroll goes for it, but still four minutes remaining third and two. It's those sorts of plays where they're massively negative because it's massively negative for the team, but they don't even show up uh, in more of the style sort of calculation. There's definitely a correlation between the two, but I would lean towards one towards the other. And it was also a Patrick Mahomes thing. Mahomes is actually looking good in completion over expectation this year, but he had a lower number in the past. And that's another reason why I used to trash that stat versus EPA per play where he was always at the top. So I take it. 
as a noted uh, Jimmy G truther that, that you are. Mm-hmm. So the CPOE doesn't favor Jimmy G as favorably because he's not making those deep, tight window throws. But at the end of the day, it's like, if Jimmy G is taking easy throws and leading the league in yards per attempt, who gives a shit what the style points look like? I think there's not- a lot of yak, right? Okay. So you don't, you're not getting credit for the yak. So if you're not throwing the ball down the field, if you're throwing it to the middle of the field, which he does a lot, and you're not throwing it far down the field, that is a high completion percentage area of the field. But the thing is, and this is another thing I don't think it, it gets for context-wise, is normally quarterbacks only throw those passes when guys are really open because you have a chance of getting intercepted, whereas Jimmy's willing to just fire it in there between like all these different defenders. Some like next-gen stats accounts for that a little bit, but again, in zone, they're going to have more quote-unquote separation even when you're throwing it to a tight window. But stuff's like when Ben Baldwin's calculation doesn't even account for that at all. So Jimmy's firing the ball in there two areas, and then they're getting a bunch of yaks, so he doesn't get credit as you would if you threw the ball downfield to a Tyler Lockett. It is one of those things where, look, none of us are debating how amazing George Kittle and Debo Samuel are in football, but you see, start seeing Brandon Ayuk at the top of the yak list as well. You know, Jawan Jennings is doing some good things. And I believe it was Bill Walsh back in the day who said, you know, yak is just, you know, timing and accuracy, basically being those two things that help create that the most. So, yes, I'm not taking anything away from Kittle and Debo, but there's something to be said for Jimmy consistently putting those guys in the position to pick up some of that yak in the first place. But well, you already stick- made them the number one offense in the NFL. So yeah, we, just- know, we know how much you love them. Hopefully social can just clip that and then add no <laughs> yeah. other content. That and the the Tom Brady uh, comparison <laughs> to, who was it? Was it Mark Mariota? <laughs> I can't remember who it was. No, it was somebody else. It was someone else. Oh, someone who didn't have any of their receivers. Oh, it was uh, Daniel Jones, yeah. Daniel Jones, yeah. <laughs> Daniel Jones and Tom Brady. We need to get that on social <laughs> Also, if there's two things you all take away from this podcast, I just hope that, you know, those are them this week, yeah. Seattle home Five versus stars. Cardinals stars. Cardinals, two and a half point favorites game total at 51 Kaz Walker. I'm in on him being an RB one, uh, the rest of the way. He doesn't even really need the pass down role. Cause the Seahawks offense is way better than we thought they were going to be. And the main pass down back Travis Homer, who we'd really be worried about. He's already on IR too, as is Rashad yeah. Penny now. So I just think that Walker still projects to flirt with 20 plus touches each and every week. You could argue the Seahawks are looking like the team everyone kind of wanted the Lions to be because the defense is still really bad. Maybe we just maybe we have a slightly more uh, consistent offense in the Lions defense. They have had plenty of injuries to worry about there. So not trying to make this a trash the Lions podcast. I'm trying to I call them the league's most entertaining team last week. Seattle Seahawks aren't too far behind. So if you're listening to this and you know you still have a chance to spend some fab, you're in a real league, unlike Kevin. You gotta, you know, spend some fab to go get Kenneth Walker. How much? All of it, Kevin. All the fab. Yes. I think I mean he's been the this would be the biggest pickup of the year, right? You're only you only get like one of these, probably. Yep. And the whole catching the ball, yeah. Maybe DJ Dallas will play. Uh, Walker did not catch the ball in college. So I think that's built into a lot of people's projections. But sometimes catching the ball in college can be a signal. Sometimes you look at the overall backfield and they just don't throw passes at Michigan State to the running backs. And I think he's shown okay hands. You know, I was in there. I was watching the film. I was watching those combine drills. <laughs> I was like, oh, the hands look okay. He's hands catching. He looks okay out there. So I think I think he can potentially do that. So if you're already building in a negative assumption in your projections, those are the guys I like. I like the guys who have a negative assumption built in because then they can surprise to the upside. I just think unless you're like bottom 5% in the world and catching like a Ronald Jones or something, man, like it's just overrated. They're NFL athletes. They can catch a short pass. And the bigger thing is just getting those guys in space. Again, Derrick Henry leads the league in yards per route run. 
Is he the best receiving running back in the league? No, but he's the most efficient. So who gives a shit? I mean, yeah, he looks he looks horribly. You remember, um, uh, it was Andre Williams. Do you remember him? Oh yeah, that was that was the worst pass catcher I've ever seen in my in my life. He was legit. He never had any catches in Boston College, and there was a reason. I I give it to Ronald Jones because he had that he caught a touchdown against the Bears that they ruled incomplete and he just like shrugged his shoulders and was like yeah you're probably right and they didn't even challenge it you see wide receivers like come down like the ball's like on the ground for a full second they cover it up and they jump up with their hands in the air like I caught that Ronald Jones physically catches the ball and just couldn't even believe it so all right Kevin we have gone longer on these podcasts even with bye weeks because it's good talking ball with you man so i'm not uh not too concerned about that hopefully you viewers aren't either we'll be back each and every week more and more afc nfc team previews hope you guys are enjoying the new format and as always make sure you catch kevin on the unexpected points podcast plenty of good stuff on pff.com throughout the week as well with the quarterback ranking showdown stuff always a great day to be great over there you got my positional previews mismatch manifesto she's report injuries and more and more podcasts so appreciate you guys tuning in as always and for kevin i'm ian take care everybody